Hello and welcome to Pep Talks. We are so glad you've joined us this evening. So if we will just wait a, a minute or so until everyone can get logged on and then we will start. You're just now logging on. We wanna welcome you to Pep Talks this evening. We'll wait just a minute and give everybody a chance to get logged on. Thank you so much for logging on tonight. We're so glad you're here and you've set aside this time. We're gonna get started in just about 30 seconds. Hi, welcome to Pep Talks. We're gonna start in just a minute. If you're just now logging on, just sit tight, starting in just a few seconds. Okay, I would love to welcome you to Pep Talks tonight as we get started for our very first virtual Pep Talk event. We are so excited. We cannot wait. We've had a huge turnout and we're just so thankful that you've chosen to support us even on this virtual platform. So I am Jenna Snyder, the Director of Guidance Counseling and Upper School Guidance Counselor. And this event is brought to you by the entire Student Services team. Um, you can see Daniel Townsley, our Chief, Chief Academic Officer, and also Dr. Lana Smear, who I know you love dearly, our South Campus Counselor. They're on our call today as well. And I just want to tell you a little bit about Pep Talks. If you're not familiar with them, maybe your family is new to Legacy. Uh, Pep Talks, Pep stands for Parenting Education Program. And we bring these talks to you throughout the year, just in an attempt to encourage you on your parenting journey because we know parenting can be really difficult. So we try to bring about topics that we think are valuable to you as a family. And we've got some upcoming pep talks that we hope you will mark your calendars for. So November 9th, um, we're going to hear navigating COVID with, with your family and coping with those changes. Um, navigating COVID with your kids, coping with the changes as a family. And that's Rob Rynow, a visionary family who we've had before and everybody adored him. So we brought him back for you. And February 8th is Teaching Diversity God's Way, a parent's guide in light of current events. Dr. Kenneth Chapman, who's an associate pastor of Life Changing Faith, spoke for the faculty. And um, he's going to really tailor make this toward parents and talk to you about how to really communicate in this really volatile world we've got right now, honestly, um, and how to get uh, diversity God's way across to your families. And then lastly, March 29th, we'll hear from Dan Martin of Pure Hope, and he's going to present the pursuit, hope for purity in a sexualized digital age. So that should be super valuable for us as well. Another event we have coming up, an announcement here, is um, a Christian parenting conference. This is put on by christianparenting.org. And if you're not familiar with them, I recently became familiar with them and I just love their organization. Can't speak highly enough. Um, this is like a parenting conference and uh, really like a pep talks on steroids because there are over 50 speakers, I believe, um, who are gonna be bringing amazing uh, dynamic content to you that night and are actually over those two days, October 23rd and 24th. Jerrica Olson, our own Eagle Mama among them, so please go to christianparenting.org. Some of the proceeds from your registration will go to Legacy. They've partnered with us, and that's just super cool, so we hope you'll uh, make that a priority as well. So we're continuing our tradition of door prizes. We do this the night of the event, and we want to do this tonight as well. So I have got two fabulous door prizes for you. And what I want you to do is to type in the chat. There is a chat feature down at the bottom of your screen, I believe, uh, at the bottom. And if you'll type in, if your family went to Rudy's for the PTF restaurant night, we've made that meal easy for you. So you don't even have to think about dinner on these nights. So if you will type in, this is our first uh, prize and it's this cool legacy hat. Check out the Spirit Wear swag. We know you dads are gonna wanna win that. 
And then our second prize is a fun little jigsaw puzzle that you can do with your family, spend a little family time. So Lana, are you seeing anyone typing in that chat? Absolutely. That's awesome. It's exciting to see so many people went to uh, Rudy's tonight, but the first two were Tanya Thornson, Massengale, and Julie Vordenbaum. Congratulations, and I hope you enjoyed your meal. Yes, fantastic. Okay, you're going to get these fun prizes in your kid's backpack, so watch for them because we know those backpacks sometimes don't get emptied out. All right, I now will take you to Lana Smear again for our opening prayer as we get ready to hear from our speakers tonight. Lana? Thank you, Jenna. Let's bow in prayer, please. Dear Father, Lord, we, we love you. Father, we are so grateful that, Father, you are the same at all times, Father, and you are bigger than all things. And Father, just the knowledge that even in the midst of a pandemic and even in the midst of a, a world crisis, Lord, you have ways to bring us together. You have ways to unite us as families. And Father, you are not going to get us in a position where your word will not continue to impact our families. Father, we are grateful for Sissy Goff and for David Thomas, Father. We're grateful for their servant hearts. We're grateful that they um, are willing to speak to our families tonight, Lord, to pour into our families, to impact our students. And Father, we just uh, ask your presence. We ask your uh, wisdom. And Father, we just delight in you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, Jenna, back to you. Thank you so much, Lana. Well, I am thrilled, you all, to introduce our speakers tonight. So we have a huge fan following of Sissy Goff and David Thomas at Legacy. I'm discovering as I promoted them as our speakers, so many of you uh, wrote to me and just told me how excited you were for them to come. You've read their books. And here they are in the flesh talking to us. How cool is that? Um, and before I forget, I want you to be sure as you're watching tonight, if you will type your questions into the chat that you just used for the, for the door prizes, uh, we will have a Q&A time after they speak. So don't forget to be typing questions as you listen so that you can get those answered. Well, Sissy Goff and David Thomas are experienced counselors, authors, speakers, and podcast hosts. They've been featured on Fox News and in publications like USA Today. Collectively, their book titles include Raising Worry-Free Girls, Braver, Stronger, Smarter, Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys, and Are My Kids on Track? The 12 Emotional, Social, and Spiritual Milestones Your Child Needs to Reach. Many in our legacy community have followed them and read their books, and we're just delighted that they're going to join us here this evening. Please welcome Sissy Goff and David Thomas. Hey, you guys. I'm Sissy. This is David, and we really wish we were with you in person, but we're excited to get to be with you in this way tonight. And we are actually sitting in David's office right now. Both of us have been counseling all day. I actually finished at 5.50 and raced over <laughs> to be here. And and Jenna did a great job explaining more of who we are, but we are both counselors with 25-ish years of experience, each of us counseling kids, which makes us feel really old, yes. but counseling kids and families in a really cool place called Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville that is an adorable little yellow house with a white picket fence, and we have dogs on staff. Mine is wandering around our feet right now, and we have about 1,900 families that are coming for counseling currently. And so we feel so privileged to get to do this work. And out of what we learn from sitting with them every day, that's part of what we're talking to you about during this time tonight. And I think especially, David's going to jump in and talk more about it, but especially in light of what's going on with kids and families today, it feels more important and like an amazing thing that you all are doing as a school to gather together to figure out how we can lean into what's going on with kids and how we can love them in the midst of where they are. And so we're going to jump in and start talking about some milestones. Yes. yes. And as we step into this conversation to set the stage, we'd love to invite you to think back on your first encounter with a pediatrician. So 
If you are an adoptive parent, you may have just traveled across the country and met the pediatrician in their office. If you're a biological parent, likely someone from your pediatric practice came to the hospital to check in on you. Wherever that visit took place, what we know happened in that time was that you began being asked questions. And if you were in the hospital, for example, those questions were mostly about two things. They were about eating and pooping. We're making <laughs> sure food is going in and food is coming out. And the questions continue from there. So questions like, is he crawling? Is she walking? Is he making eye contact? Is she pulling up? These really important questions that allow us to track with our kids' physical development. And we know that if we start answering no more than yes, we're gonna start scratching our heads and thinking through how do we layer in some extra support on behalf of the kids we love. Once they jump into a school environment, we're going to begin tracking closely with their cognitive development. And you all know we have tools at our disposal in this day and age where we can measure a child's full-scale IQ. We can identify if a kid is reading on a fourth grade level, third week, second month. I mean, we can pinpoint it to the second. And again, if we were to see evidence of where kids were struggling or falling behind, we're going to figure out how can we layer in some extra support so that they can move forward. But there's not really a context where we're asking some of the same kinds of questions about their emotional and their social and spiritual development in the same ways. And it's from these threads, these really important threads that our kids are going to, well, it's right now where they're operating as brothers and sisters and friends and classmates and team members. Eventually, those are the places where they're going to be operating as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and friends and coworkers. And so we want to be paying attention to these important threads. And that's some of where we're really excited to get to talk with you all tonight for a little bit of time. And I think every one of us would say that we know at least an adult or two who maybe got a little behind along the way and could have used some extra support to play catch up. And I think about not long ago, I was flipping channels and saw a commercial for the Real Housewives of some city. I don't know. I don't watch that show, but I know a lot of people do. And watch for a second and hear these women, adult women, having a conversation. And all of a sudden, the conversation turns to conflict. And in the middle of the conflict, one of the women reached over and pulled another woman's hair. And I remember thinking, oh, no, no, no. You can't pull hair anymore when you're a grown-up. <laughs> like, that option should be off the table. And we laugh about that. But don't we all know adult women who never figured out how to move through conflict in a healthy way? So maybe they swing somewhere between being passive aggressive over here and manipulative over here because they can't get to that healthy middle. And so it's very possible for any of us to get stuck. The good news is it's possible to get unstuck. And that's what we're excited to talk with you about tonight. And we want to start with a conversation about some emotional milestones and we're going to move toward talking about the social milestones. We wish we had all night and into tomorrow with you that we could do a deep dive into each of these, but we'll talk about ways you can go a little deeper into any that you're curious about. Maybe we can come back and eat at the barbecue place. And yeah, <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. I, I really want in on the barbecue dinner, yes. so we'd love to come to your city and try that out. We'll talk more. But for now, let me just preview for you the four emotional milestones. And I want to talk about some guiding principles. And Sissy's going to do a deep dive and give you some practical ideas. The four emotional milestones that we talk about are the milestone of vocabulary, which is developing just that, an emotional vocabulary so that kids can accurately identify what they're feeling. And you all, we're seeing greater and greater evidence of kids struggling there, kids who don't say, I feel sad, they go straight to, I feel depressed. Kids who don't say, I feel worried, they immediately say, I have anxiety. I sat just a few weeks ago in this very office in an assessment with a six-year-old girl who, when I asked her, I said, tell me a little of why you're here. What did you and your mom, talk, mom and dad talk about before you came? She crossed her legs and she said, well, I have a lot of toxic relationships. <laughs> six years old, and I thought, you shouldn't even know that word, and I'm certain you don't know what it means. But kids using these big words to describe their experience because they don't have accurate words. And so that's why Sissy and I believe strongly in something that I'm holding. You can't see well, this is a feelings chart. You can download one of these off of our website, and it's spaces and expressions with the words underneath. You can use this with kids who can't even read, but just helping them develop 
an accurate emotional vocabulary. The second milestone is the milestone of perspective, and that's learning to put all of life in the right category, figuring out that a one in life is losing my car keys and a 10 in life is losing a family member. And Sissy's gonna talk more about this one in a few minutes, but we're seeing so many kids who go to 10 over every event in life and can't accurately categorize the events of life. The third is the milestone of empathy and empathy is a well-researched foundational ingredient in all healthy interpersonal relationships. So friend to friend, spouse to spouse, parent to child, empathy is a game changer. And then fourthly is the milestone of resourcefulness. And that's learning what to do with the emotions, how to take it to something constructive. We're seeing a lot of kids get roadblocked there as well. Sissy will be talking a little about that in a moment. But three ideas we throw out your way as you think about these milestones. One is that feelings are just feelings. Many of us grew up being told that there are good feelings like happy and bad feelings like sad. We wanna avoid being sad and just be happy. That's not true. It's not helpful, it's not healthy. We know that there are times in life where it's important to feel sadness when we're grieving as people. That's an important emotion to experience. Anger's not a bad emotion. I don't know about you all, but when I watch the news sometimes, I feel really angry. And I want that anger to move me toward justice and mercy in this world. So anger can be a constructive emotion as long as we know what to do with it. So feelings are just feelings. The second idea we talk about is that feelings are like children. And I have this model car in my office that I use sometimes with that kids. So cool. uh -huh. I've never seen that. This is my visual tool I use with you all right now. And I heard this years ago in a movie and I thought it was hilarious. It says that feelings are like children. Think about where we want children in a vehicle. We cannot stuff them in the trunk, <laughs> pretending like they're not there, but we don't want them driving the car either. Where are kids the safest? Fastened in the back seat. And we want our emotions to be like that. We're aware of them. They're with us. We're not pretending like they're not there, but they're not in charge of us. And you all, we are seeing a lot of kids whose emotions are driving the car. They're flying the plane. They control everything. I know some grown-ups who are kind of living like that too, maybe got stuck in that place. So that's another idea we'd encourage you to consider. And lastly, is that practice makes progress. Many of us grew up being told that practice makes perfect. We'd encourage you to throw that out as well. That's not helpful. And I don't know about you, but there are plenty of things in life that I have practiced hard at that not only did I not get perfect at it, I didn't even get all that good at it. But everything I have ever practiced, I at least got a little bit better at. And think on that as we talk about these milestones tonight. We want to see kids progressing toward. These milestones are different than the physical milestones. We want to see a child crawling by a certain point, walking by a certain point. Kids are not going to reach empathy by the age of 10 and have accomplished that. We just want to see that they're moving toward these, progressing toward these throughout. Think about these milestones like muscles. We talk about them a lot like that. And that for some kids, the muscle is just weaker and less developed and we want to flex it more. For others, it's stronger. But the good news is, however well developed the muscle is or poorly developed, we can make it stronger. And will you talk a little bit about how we can do that some with the emotional ones? Yes, so I would say if David, if you were going to talk about the emotional milestone boys struggle with the most, it would likely be what? Vocabulary. Vocabulary. They so cannot talk about what they feel easily. Putting words to their emotions. Now, if we were all in the room together, I would say to you all, and what milestone would you guess that the girls that you know struggle with the most? And if I had to guess, I would think you would say perspective. So they can say what they're feeling, but it's often that they can't regulate or control what they're feeling, which is one of the things we want to talk about because even pre-pandemic, it was one of the things that we were most concerned with in regard to kids today. So that scale that David talked about, that one to 10 scale, we were seeing more and more kids who were living there at 10 with anxiety, with depression, with the words that David was talking about. And there's, there's really two different phenomenon that we're seeing in regard to kids and this idea of losing perspective. And that's what we call this milestone. And so what we're going to say is, I would say there's a lot of drama in the lives of kids today. And some of it is genuine drama. Some of it is a little exaggerated in terms of the drama. And so in, in the genuine piece of it, you know, if we were going to talk statistically about what's going on, I think probably a lot of you all know, pre 
COVID, anxiety was a childhood epidemic. Actually, when we wrote Are My Kids on Track, it was, I think now, probably five years ago, and the statistics at that point were one in eight kids. Two years ago, it was one in four kids. Now it's one in three kids. And so it is changing that dramatically. Girls are twice as likely. So anxiety is on the rise. And you all, we don't even, I think daily there is an article on my news app about kids in depression too. We are seeing, we're hearing it just, I mean, I think we're hearing it four times a day, probably in our counseling offices of kids who are just struggling with such deep sadness and hopelessness. And we're hearing more and more kids talk about suicidal thoughts than ever before. And you all, again, that was before the pandemic. But today, I think more than ever, kids are struggling. And so they really need us to listen and offer a lot of empathy ourselves in terms of hearing what they're going through. And so genuinely, the numbers of all of those things are on the rise. And so we want to pay close attention to that with the kids we love, with how they're doing. But the second piece of that is this sense of kind of the exaggerated drama. And David alluded to that. You know, I don't remember the last time I had a child sit in my office and say, I'm stressed. Actually, I had a group of girls who said, they were teenage girls, and they said, if you were to sit at the lunch table and say, I feel stressed, no one would even listen to you, which is exactly right. And it's why they don't say, I feel worried. They say, like he said, I have anxiety. They don't say I'm sad. They say I have depressed. I think I have a girl probably weekly. I actually had one today who diagnosed themselves with PTSD. Again, I don't even think they really know what that means, but they're using these big words. And think about it. You know, when we were growing up, if we were really mad at our mom and dad, the worst thing we could say to get them was, I'm going to run away. Kids don't say I'm going to run away anymore. When they're in those moments, what they say is probably what you all could guess. I'm going to kill myself. They, again, are using this big language. And sometimes it's to get attention of their peers. Sometimes it's to get our attention. And I'm going to talk about what to do with it in a minute. But we want to be aware that it's both things. It's this drama going on around them. It's the culture that they're living in and the words that they're using. Because those words are a part of their vernacular. I met with a girl today. And she said, I don't really know what's going on with me. I'm just having stomach aches a lot. And I said, I'm just wondering if you could be worried. I said, do you hear people talk about anxiety at the lunch table? And she said, uh-huh, all the time. I didn't hear people use that word at the lunch table. And I'm guessing you all didn't either. We just didn't talk that way. But it's a part of their world now. And so we want to be aware of that. And then the third piece of that, and we're going to talk about stumbling blocks and building blocks, and this is a stumbling block for them, is I think there's a real lack of resilience among kids today that didn't used to be there. And, and you know, we're probably a lot older than a lot of you watching, but I think when a lot of us were growing up, there was that like rub dirt in it and keep going philosophy or mentality, and that's not the case anymore in a great way. But I think kids, in, as a result, aren't developing a sense of resilience or resourcefulness. And just to give you an example, years ago, I think it was probably in my first five years as a counselor. So we're talking like mid to late 90s. I was counseling this adorable little girl who came to see me. And her mom and dad were divorced. And she was on a weekend that she was spending time with her dad. And they went to stay with her grandparents, so his mom and dad. And the weekend, one week in particular that they were with them was when they decided, she and her dad went out to go to the mall to go shopping. And when they came back in the house, her dad came in the house in front of her, thankfully, because he could tell immediately something was wrong because he saw his father's feet on the floor. And so he pushed his daughter back and came around the corner. And what had happened while they were at the mall is that her grandfather had killed her grandmother and then killed himself. You all, this poor kid, who by the time I think I saw her, she was 11, and this had happened a couple years before. And so we were meeting together because she was having hallucinations, which was PTSD, genuine PTSD. And so I sent her to do a type of therapy that was created to work with people who were suffering from PTSD that's called EMDR. Some of you may have heard of that before. And it is this fascinating, amazing tool that we have to work with trauma victims. And so it helped her work through the hallucinations. 
So fast forward to last year, I was working with a girl who was a senior in high school and she had debilitating anxiety to the degree that she started hallucinating. She started imagining things that weren't there. And I ended up having to send her to an inpatient program. Her anxiety was so severe and the hallucinations were so significant. And you all, the type of therapy they did, one of the types was EMDR because she had so much trauma that it was causing hallucinations. The trauma was resulting in her life from bullying. And not that bullying is not a thing at times, although we're going to talk about bullying in a little bit and what real bullying really is, but something is wrong. Something's really wrong culturally today, you all, if a child is registering the same degree of trauma over bullying that they did their grandparents' murder-suicide. And so there is a lack of resilience, and we see it again daily in our counseling offices. And as the grown-ups who love kids, we need to do something about it. And I promise I'm coming to that in just a second. So one of the stumbling blocks is the drama that is surrounding their world. Another stumbling block, you guys, and here's what you get when you have counselors in for a parenting seminar. Sorry, we're going to pick on you a little bit. But as the grown-ups who love kids, we're part of the problem. And we see that take place in a couple of different ways. So one is what we would say, I think, I think part of this, like, let's do a little backstory. And again, I wish I could see your faces, but I would want you, if I could, to have you raise your hands. If you felt like you grew up in a family that was really rich in your emotional vocabulary and you sat around, you talked about your feelings all the time, processing it at the dinner table. Now, if I could see your hands, my guess is 10% of you are raising them right now. We just, and again, y'all are younger than we are, but I don't think any of us generationally were growing up with that. And so we are seeing a phenomenon, not to call anybody out, but we're seeing a phenomenon of over-attending kids. So for example, I'll tell you another quick story. I had an eight-year-old girl who came to see me for anxiety recently, and eight used to be the average age of onset. Now it's dropped to six. And so this little girl was right in the window and I saw on our little computer program that that's why she was coming to Daystar. And so I came down the stairs of my, from my office into the lobby. This was back when people could sit in the lobby, lobby before COVID. She was sitting across from me. She had this huge smile on her face and I caught her eye and you can tell I have this enormous smile. And so I smiled at her and waved at her and I walked over to her and said, hey, I'm Sissy, I'm so excited you're at Daystar. I wanna give you a tour. And then I'm gonna take you upstairs to my office and we're gonna talk for a few minutes. And by the way, I have a cute little dog in my office named Lucy and she is gonna be so excited to meet you. And this little girl, you all popped up immediately to follow me. And her mom grabbed her arm and stopped her and said, do you feel comfortable with that? So for this little girl, it had never occurred to her not to feel comfortable following me in a safe place. We're in a counseling office. It had never occurred to her not to feel comfortable until her mom said that. And you all can probably guess what I'm going to say. Her sweet mom, who meant so well, followed us on the whole tour <laughs> and then sat upstairs across from my office the whole time that we talked. And then I brought her in and, you know, we could talk all about the conversation. But I said, as I do in counseling sessions, now, do you, is there any family history for anything <laughs> with you all? And of course, she said, well, I had anxiety when I was growing up and my parents never understood. And so what she was doing was making sure she understood what was going on with her daughter. And she was overcompensating in, in that she wasn't giving her, her daughter the opportunity to take risks and do things that would help her work through her own anxiety. She was being the resource for her. And so she didn't develop resourcefulness. And so we want to be really aware of that. So over-attending is one thing we can swing towards. I would say the other is under-attending. And I don't know if any of you all are Enneagram folks. I don't know if y'all talk about that much, but I'm just going to tell on David and I, because as we're sitting here, it's easy to say we're the same number. And so we are ones on the Enneagram, which means we are perfectionistic. We are so productive. You should see us when we're traveling to speak and moving through the airport. I mean, we are so fast. And I don't know if any of you all are like that, but I would tend to say any of us who are ones or perfectionistic are classic under attenders. 
we are moving so fast. We are getting so many things done that we don't have time to stop and talk about that. We don't have time for the tears right now. We got to keep moving. And so what we see kids do is sometimes they'll get bigger just to get us to listen. And so either way, over attending, basically whatever you're giving the most attention to as a parent is what you're reinforcing. And so if you're paying the most attention to their crisis, whether it's their anxiety, whether it's friend problems, then of course that's what they're going to talk to you about the most. And sometimes even recreate just to connect. If you're not paying attention, sometimes they're going to use bigger words to get your attention. And the reality is that as grown-ups who love kids, we want to value their character over their happiness. And so part of that is helping them get to a place where they do have perspective, they do have resourcefulness. And so we want to think about that. And in that, what we want to offer is we want to offer kids always attunement where we're, no matter how big they are, we're getting down on their level and we're really listening. Every child wants to feel heard. They want to feel understood by you. Sometimes you can't make them feel understood enough, but to try, at least give them a few minutes to really listen to what they're saying, to stop and listen, and then that we help them move on. And sometimes helping them move on looks like consequences because we don't, if we're just stopping with attunement, we're doing what that mom is doing, or we're doing what a mom was doing who brought her daughter to see me, eighth grader, really disrespectful. I think her mom was doing a beautiful job of attending to her, but not doing a beautiful job of helping her get to perspective. And so this girl came in my office and told me, as she often did, a lot of the disrespectful things she'd said to her mom. And finally, honestly, I can say to you all, I just had had it. I couldn't hear anything else that she said to her mom. It's just awful. And so I said to her, what did your mom do when you said those things to her? What kind of consequence did she give you? And she said, consequence? What do you even mean? And I said, I mean, did she ground you or do anything to stop you from saying those things? And she said, no, my mom knows I feel better when I get to vent and she just lets me. It doesn't matter what I say, which is a really unhealthy life skill. I can't even imagine like David was talking about how that's going to impact that girl's marriage someday her co-working relationships, a lot of different aspects of her life. So I said the little girl brought her mom up quickly and said, let's talk about some age-appropriate consequences. Now I can say to you all, I never saw him again. I never came back because I think that mom felt like it was more important to value her happiness over her character. She was about emotional vocabulary, but not about helping her daughter move towards perspective. And so I want to talk about some building blocks in terms of that. So when we think of this one to 10 scale, which is where we're wanting kids to land, I obviously, because I work primarily with girls, I just came up with a name for it on my own and I called it drama monitor because that's what it feels like. We're talking about drama so much of the time. And some kids, again, are going to have a really hard time with that. They're just going to be kids who live at 10. And so with those kids, there are a few things we want to do in light of that. So one of the things that I actually spend a lot of time in my counseling office do, and you can do at home too. If you have a child who lives at 10, like David talked about, I want you to have a conversation with them about what a 10 really is and whether they're anxious, whether they lean towards getting really angry, whether they get sad a lot and they are very sensitive kids. Tell me what a 10 would be for you. And often they are going to say something like losing a family member or developmentally, if they're older, losing friends. Whatever it is, we want them to verbalize that. And then when your child gets in the car, your 10 living child gets in the car with you after school and says, this is the worst day I ever had in my life. You don't jump to 10 with them because that's not helpful. That's not helping them develop perspective. That you stay really calm. Sounds like a really tough day with a lot of empathy. What number do you think it was on your scale? Because when we do that, we're automatically giving them a sense of perspective. We're helping them realize that all life doesn't happen at 10. Because let me tell you that I am more and more convinced that the kids I see who live at 10 lose relationships. They burn people out and they sabotage their own relationships. So we're not doing them a service, not only for their adult relationships, but I'm watching more girls daily who are adolescents and preteens who are burning out other kids because kids can't 
handle it. And you all, sometimes it's because we're jumping there with them. So we want to be aware of helping them, listening first, helping them define their 10, 10. And then I would say another thing, and David does a great job describing this in the Are My Kids on Track book, but helping them learn about time and space and coping skills. So really the normal kind of course of events with kids is, you know, your child acts out, say they are really disrespectful. And our normal follow-up is that we give a consequence in hopes that the next time they act out in that way, they're going to think, oh, actually last time I did this, I got in trouble. I don't think I'll do that again. Make that choice again. Which how well does that really work? Not so much. <laughs> and when we follow that course of events, we're really regulating kids rather than giving them an opportunity to regulate themselves. And that's what self-regulation again is. That's what we're wanting them to learn. And so time involves something that we love a lot and that's giving kids a warning. Like I can tell you're getting frustrated. I can tell you're heading up towards 10. I use a stoplight system a lot with kids where we talk about green light, yellow light, red light, saying you're at a yellow light now. And what I want you to do is go to the space. We're going to talk about the space in a minute and take some time. And then we'll talk about it in a few minutes. And if they won't go and they continue to lose it, that's when we give them a consequence. And actually we're fans of consequences that build on themselves. You've just lost your device for 30 minutes. Now you've lost it for an hour. Now we're at an hour and a half, bummer. So they're again, having an opportunity to regulate themselves, giving them time in that, then giving them space. So we actually try to take breaks and give kids an opportunity to go away from us to process their feelings. Because you all, we do that as grownups. Sometimes in the moment, it's that we just hold our tongue, I hope, and are silent. Sometimes it's we have to go away and take a moment. Kids don't know how to do that. And so they will often stay engaged with you and stay in this back and forth. And so one of the things we do all the time, both of us, in counseling is we'll help kids, families come up with a code word. So if we were in a fight, we're much like brother and sister in real life. And so if we were in a fight, I might say to David, happy days. And if I said happy days, we both love that TV show when we were kids. If I said happy days, that automatically means we're going to take a break and we're going to go process. And then we're going to come back together and talk about it. And again, that's something helpful to decide ahead of time with your family. Now, parents, if your child says happy days, they would never know what that show is. But if they say whatever their code word is, they pick watermelon and they take a minute, you got to let them have it. Don't in that moment say, don't you walk away from me. Remember you agreed to it ahead of time. So it's really helpful to let them take space. And then the last idea, the last building block, we would say are coping skills. And you all, what we're seeing more and more evidence of is that kids don't develop coping skills, they use you. And so staying in that argument with you becomes their coping strategy. It's how they release their emotion. That is not a constructive coping strategy. And so they need a place they can go in that time where, you know, depending on the personality of your child, they can journal, they can draw, they can jump on a mini trampoline, they can have one of those little they're not really called bozo boppets, but one of those things they punch that pops back up. And, and we would encourage you in the next week to sit down with each of your kids. You can do it at the dinner table. Everybody could do it together. You included as parents and come up with 10 coping strategies, 10 things you can do when you feel yourself going to 10. And then sometimes you can even say, watermelon, I'm going to take a minute and go do some of my coping skills and model it for him because that is profoundly impactful for kids too. And so we want to be aware, like David said, of helping them move the emotion to something constructive. They're going to have those emotions. You all, and you want them to learn to work through them and to gain a sense of perspective now when you can help them do it. And so now is a great time to start the process. And you can do those simple things without having to go to even Target. You can do them at home today. You want to talk a little bit about the session? Analysis? I will. And I would say, you know, let me first define those four and then we'll talk for a couple of minutes on what those look like. I would say the first one is awareness, building social awareness. And generally speaking, boys are going to be less aware. Girls are going to have greater awareness. Kids of both genders are going to lose a lot of awareness in adolescence. They're going to be so self-focused in that season. It's hard to see a lot of what's going on around them. 
The second is the milestone of reciprocity. And reciprocity is the give and take of relationship, the back and forth of conversation. And for a lot of kids, that's more instinctive. For a lot, it's not as much. I was at a dinner party not long ago, seated next to a man who never got that muscle down because for the entire dinner, he talked nonstop about himself. I remember getting up from the table and thinking, I don't think this man even knows my name. He certainly knows nothing about me because he kept on talking about himself the entire dinner time. So that's reciprocity. The third is ownership. And research would say that when something goes wrong in a girl's life, who would you guess she blames? Ladies out there, you know the answer to this, herself. You as women, I think, can do that instinctively. When something goes wrong in a boy's life, who does he blame? Someone else. I opened that chapter up with a story about one of my own sons who at five years old, that's how early it shows up, approached my wife and said, what did you do with my soccer cleats? It never occurred to him to say, did you see where I left them? Do you know where they are? It's what did you do? And so blame is more instinctive. We have to work harder to move boys toward ownership. And then the last is the milestone of boundaries. I'm going to not say anything because Sissy's going to talk a minute more about that in just a, a short bit. But I would say you all, quick ideas there. So often our kids' social struggles are as rooted in what's going on in their emotional development as it is in their social development. So often that's why we spent so much time there, that they're struggling because, as Sissy said, they didn't develop perspective or empathy in a way that allows them to be successful friends. I sat with excuse me, a mom not long ago, and they'd moved several times, and her son had been in different schools, and she said, I just feel like he hasn't met the right friend yet, and I spent about five minutes with this young man, and I remember thinking, I don't think it's that he hasn't met the right friend yet. I don't think he knows how to be the right friend. Yeah. Throughout our conversation, this kid was talking at me or talking over me, but not talking with me, and so that's why we spent so much time in that space. Also, kids are experiential learners. They, they learn best by going through the motions. And one of the mistakes we make as parents, it's kind of back to what Sissy talked about, about over-attending. We get in the way. We approach teachers on their behalf. We talk to coaches about playing time, not giving them the opportunity to practice, the experiential practice of having important conversations, even hard conversations. And then Lassie would say, every kid develops at their own pace. And generally speaking, with all these milestones, girls are going to develop a little earlier, boys a little slower. Bright kids, if you're parenting a bright kid, generally speaking, their social development may be a little slower. Their cognitive muscles are so strong, but some of these social pieces are a little more complicated for them. If you have a child with special needs, obviously their pace is going to look different. But again, practice makes progress with their individual pace. So I'm going to talk a little bit about one social milestone in particular that David said, boundaries. And I'm going to try and go quickly so we have a few minutes for questions too. But it was interesting as we wrote Are My Kids on Track, David wrote the boys sections, I wrote the girls. And this is the only one that we went totally different directions and even what we took the word to mean. And you could probably guess based on some of what he said in terms of when something goes wrong in a boys world, when something goes wrong in a girls world. And he has this great acronym where he talks about boys kind of lean towards bad. So blame, avoidance, and denial. Like he said, those are not where'd you put my soccer cleats. I never did that. I don't even know what you're talking about. Getting away, not even wanting to have the conversation. All of those things are going to be really natural in a boy's life. If he doesn't learn what boundaries look like at home, he's going to have a whole lot harder time learning what they look like in other places. And so we're going to talk about the building blocks of those, but we want to be aware that he's going to particularly struggle there. And in reality, what we, the more we talked about, the more we realized what it kind of came down to is that boys often have a hard time respecting boundaries. They're going to push the envelope and girls have a hard time setting boundaries, which is a picture of where I went. I went immediately with that word to relationships for girls because so many girls struggle with that idea. And so Stumbling blocks for girls. The first one that I would want to mention is what I would lump into hence mind reading and going out on the dock because I think girls so often in relationship don't know how to communicate what's going on with them. And so they hint a lot. I had a girl, a third grader who came up in, to my office and said that her best friend had said to her, no offense, 
which you know you're always in trouble when something starts with no offense. <laughs> no offense, but our friendship is like a dead flower. Mm. Now, what does that even mean? But obviously she was trying to take the other kid out just by that statement. It was a hint. It was a passive aggressive hint. And that's so often how girls communicate with each other. So hence mind reading, girls think they are experts at mind reading. So one of their friends isn't talking to them that day and they immediately think they're mad at me, especially if they're in middle school, they're mad at me, it's their default. Rather than maybe she had an argument in the car with her mom on the way to school, there could be something else going on. So that's a question I ask girls a lot in my office. Could there be more to the story? It's not, I don't say it that directly most of the time. Sometimes, every once in a while I will, but it's not always about them. And they're gonna default to that. So could there be more to the story? Do you think there could be something else going on is really helpful for her. And then the last idea you all is something that David and I got from a friend of ours who's a male. But he just to give you a little of his family background, he when he was growing up, he was a middle child of five. And he would get on his bike and ride a little ways out from his house. And he would put his bike in the ditch and position his body like he had fallen, hoping his parents would ride by and think, oh, no, what's wrong with him? He was fine. He just wanted their attention because I think they were under attending. And so fast forward when he was in middle school and high school, he would go on these youth retreats and they would go to a lake and he would often start to feel lonely and not know how to go up to a friend and say, hey, I'm having a hard time. I want to talk. Instead, he would wander out on the dock hoping, y'all can guess, someone would follow him out there. Now, you all, I know girls who live their lives out on the dock. As a matter of fact, I, saw, I haven't even told you this, but there's a girl that I worked with for years who lived life out on the dock. And I just, <laughs> she is a grown up now. And I just saw on Instagram, she put, she made this little drawing of herself in a cast. And she said, whenever things would get boring socially, I would wear something that looked like I'd hurt myself. So that's a great picture of going out on the dock. Your child may want to wear a splint a lot of the time because they may be hoping that other people are going to pay attention or they're the kids who will come in for counseling. They do it with us too and say things like, I had the worst week ever, but I'm not ready to talk about it. So when I say, oh no, what happened? Please tell me. I really want you to feel like you can tell me. I'm just following her right out on the dock. But what I teach the younger counselors is to say things like, I'd love to hear when you feel ready to talk about it. So I'm being empathetic, but I'm not following them. Because that's the bottom line, y'all. When we give in to those types of communication, we are reinforcing insecurity, passive aggress aggression, and manipulation. Because that's what all three of those things are going to do. And so we want to be really aware if the kids we love are communicating in one of those ways. And we want to help teach them something different because that's not gonna work well. They're gonna end up on the housewives of whatever city pulling each other's hair if we don't help them work through some of that. So those are the stumbling blocks. The building blocks, you all, I would say with boys, we wanna go back to that idea of giving them consequences. That helps them in terms of respecting boundaries. And so boundaries, you all, we would say with every age in a child's life, boundaries create security. It makes them feel more secure to not feel like they're the most powerful person in the room. And when we don't put boundaries in place, that's what happens. And we also, when we give boundaries, basically when we let kids get away with being the worst versions of themselves, it's who they believe they are. Instead, when a child is really ugly to one of their friends in front of us, and we get in the car and we say, you can't go to such and such birthday party anymore because I believe that you're kinder than that. Or they're in high school and they come home with alcohol in their breath anymore. I'm gonna need your car keys because you're a smarter guy than you're acting like right now. That we're giving boundaries and we're communicating our belief in them at the same time. So that's with boys with girls building blocks. A couple of things I would say. One is we want to teach and empower them to communicate differently. And, and my magic formula I always go back to with girls is mixing strength and kindness. Because you all ladies that are listening, I think if I had learned what strength and kindness at the same time looked like when I was in fifth grade, my grown up relationships would look so different. That we can teach them to be kind and strong at the same time. I'd love to play with you, but I'm not gonna play with you when you treat me like that. I wanna be friends, but I'm not friends with people who are act that way. And let them handle it that way first. Give them pep talks, 
give them help practice it role play at home and let them try to work through it then if they can't and especially you all if there's a real bully situation happening and let me say really quickly not all conflict is bullying there is really normal back and forth especially with girls they are learning their relationship styles they're learning conflict resolution they're learning those kind of skills and there so there's going to be some normal back and forth which is why we want to let them handle it first with that idea of strength and kindness then if they can't or there's genuine bullying going on that's when we call these wonderful counselors who are on the call today and let them help us but otherwise we want to think about strength and kindness how do you empower her to have both and then the last thing i want to say and i'm just going to give you the template and i want y'all to write it down but i think girls don't know what healthy conflict resolution looks like so i'm going to give you four ideas that i really do want you to write down one is affirm the relationship so she says to her friend your friendship is really important to me. It's that kindness we talked about. Affirm the relationship. Number two, use the I statement. I feel sad when you talk to me that way. It hurts my feelings. I feel like you don't care about spending time with me anymore. I feel blank. So affirm the relationship, use the I statement, say your contribution. And y'all, I don't know if you're like me, but in my grown up life, I have never told someone that they hurt me without me having hurt them back somewhere along the way. And it doesn't really matter who hurt the other one first. It's a two-way street and kids need to learn that. That's one of the best things we can teach them for their relationships forever. So third, say your contribution. Four, ask how you can solve the problem together. We'll say it again, affirm the relationship, use the I statement, say your contribution, ask how you can solve the problem together. It's collaborative, not conflictual. And so often that's all it is, is it's either not handled or it's highly conflictual. So all of this time is about giving them tools. And y'all may have some questions. I don't know if we have time for one or two questions, Jenna. What do you think? Yeah, so absolutely. Let's, uh, let's see, I'm sharing my screen so that y'all can see our next little slides here. Thank you so much. Oh my word, was that not the most informative thing? Loved every second of that and was just taking notes myself. So a little bit of Q&A, and Sissy and David actually went over some of what was coming through on Q&A. One question, Sissy, it was just coming in right as you were saying the last part, but I think you may have answered it, is my daughter is constantly left out of social events. There, these other girls post on social media and seem to rub it in. We're at small school and friend groups are limited. How do I best counsel her? What would you say to that? You know, that is so hard. And I think that is the world of social media. Every girl I have ever met feels left out on social media. And so I think number one, encouraging all girls to take breaks, I think can be really helpful. Helping her look maybe beyond the scope of those girls and even in a small school, I would imagine there's somebody that needs a friend too. And I remember years ago, I had a mom who she and her daughter would look through the yearbook and she would pick one person she wanted to try to get to know every day better. And her mom knew who it was and would pray all day about her relationship with that friend. And so helping empower her to move towards something else, because sometimes they get stuck on one group. And then I have had a lot of girls say, which I think was coaching from their parents, like, I know everyone has a closest view and I might not be in that and that doesn't mean I'm not their close a close friend. And so I think helping girls understand that if everybody has an inner circle and sometimes it's just they couldn't invite more people than that and it's going to be harmful no matter it hurt our feelings when we heard about it we didn't see all the pictures. And so I think helping her understand that kind of thing can be really important too. And again, it's just going to be hard. And so talking about it is really, really important. And, and another conversation that I think is really important with adolescents in general about all things is my guess is those girls are not trying to leave her out particularly. And I consider girls from, it used to be like 11 to 14, 15. I would say social media has made it start younger maybe nine, sometimes 10, sometimes 11, really whenever they're starting social media, I call them the narcissistic years because they're thinking about themselves perpetually. And so they're thinking, how am I gonna look cool on social media? Not 
I'm going to hurt this person's feelings, which is terrible. And I wish they were, but I think to say to her, as much as you're thinking about yourself and your feelings, they're thinking about themselves too. I think that can be really helpful because, you know, I think that idea of giving kids the benefit of the doubt is really important moving forward in relationships. And then obviously being really empathetic and helping talk through it with her when her feelings are hurt, because that's going to happen too. But how can she move towards thinking about connecting in new places? For sure. Yeah, those are, those are great answers. Thank you so much. We are really getting near the time of our the, to end. We may have time for one more quick question. Lana, did you do you have one more, maybe a lightning round here for um, for our speakers just from the chat? Are you seeing anything there? To uh, absolutely, great question. Being like, how do you, Sissy uh, and David, handle the um, over-involved parent? in light of our society and where we are now we live in a society where there are a lot of dangers out there for our kids uh you know being that electronic dangers or are out in the environment um you want to learn to trust but that's tough so how do parents bat balance that and not be that over-involved parent yeah i would say a quick thought would be uh, we definitely if we're going to err on the side of being over-involved we definitely want to do that when it comes to technology of being aware <laughs> and on top of yes. our kids exposure where I'd really challenge parents would be back to, we talked a little bit about getting too involved in those interactions, remembering that we don't let our kids talk to teachers themselves about, is it an opportunity to get extra credit or coach about more playing time? That's when they're losing those really important opportunities to develop the social muscles. So I would say if we're going to get too involved, do it with technology, and much less in the relational space where they have opportunities to develop those strong muscles. And also I'd say real quick too, if any of you, as you're listening to these different milestones are thinking, my kid is struggling a lot with perspective or yes, we need more in terms of awareness. Check out our book, Are My Kids on Track? Or we have a podcast. If you go to our website, raisingboysandgirls.com, there's an entire season devoted to are my kids on track where you could do a deep dive into the milestones, get even more practical ideas and some good free discussion questions to continue the conversation. Thank you guys so much. Um, this has just been so, so valuable. And we just have a couple of quick minutes here. Uh, just can't thank you both enough. I just absolutely loved every second of that. And I know our community did as well. So quickly, you guys, just to wrap up, uh, there was, in the information I sent out today, there was an attachment with the packet called Huddle Up, and we're just encouraging you to uh, give that to your to your kids. Number one, there's a lot of uh, fun kid activities on there, a video and some other crafts and things just to keep them busy while our speakers are talking. But we also included some parent debrief questions. So you'll see these three questions that are on the screen in that Huddle Up packet. And if you'll go to that, and maybe tonight before you fall asleep, just in the quiet moments there, uh, I just challenge you to ask your spouse these three questions. What came to mind as Sissy and David were talking and go over these and, and give a time of reflection so that you can really make some changes and just some deeper thought based on, on what you've heard tonight. I also want to point you to their resources. David mentioned them there just a minute, but they have so many amazing books, you guys. You've got to go to their website, um, raisingboysandgirls.com. You will not be sorry. There's something there for everybody. Also, their Instagrams at Raising Boys and Girls and Sissy Goff's own Instagram are just a wealth of information, and they, they keep up with those on a real regular basis. So check those out. And that brings us to the end of our program. So uh, thank you again for joining. I, I hope you'll join next time. I promise you these are gonna be rich, good times and we're just privileged to have you with us. Um, and I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your kids, Dr. Sneeris too. Uh, we're in a battlefield, but we are determined to have victory and we will in Christ. Um, even through this crazy time, we are not losing hope. So Daniel, if you'll close us out in prayer and, and we'll um, let you guys go. Yes. Thank you so very much, everybody, for joining us. Thank you once again, Sissy and David, for uh, sharing with our community what you've learned over the years and, and the convictions you have. Um, and thank you, Jenna and Lana, for, for leading our department so, so professionally and, and so kindly. Uh, let me close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before your throne and 
Um, parenting's tough, Lord, and we just ask that you just would continue to guide us as parents, uh, guide us as a community of believers, Lord, for, for your kingdom's sake. Lord, continue to provide the resources and the encouragement, Lord. I lift up to you both um, Sissy Goff and David Thomas and their ministry with Daystar. Lord, bless them and the work they do with families. Lord, I lift up to you our counseling staff with Jenna and Lannon. Just ask for your guidance and direction. Continue to sustain them as they serve families, Lord. And I just lift up to you our entire community and all the parents on this call and those that will listen to the recording. Lord, we just ask that you would just guide and direct our steps. Give us courage um, to do what's right. Uh, give us some um, empathy. Um, give us strength, Lord, and help us just teach our, our children how to follow you at all at all times, Lord, and, and may we model that as well for them. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to join together as a community, although it's virtual. Um, we thank you for this time, and we just ask for your blessings on our, on our families this week, and uh, thank you once again for bringing us together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone. Have a great evening.